Hi, this is Kenneth Johnson, creator of Alien Nation, and you're listening to the Dead TV Podcast. Welcome to the Dead TV Podcast, a podcast dedicated to any and all science fiction, horror, and fantasy shows on broadcasting television. We don't have any of that streaming crap here, <laughs> which is not actually true, because we're going to do a streaming show <laughs> eventually. <laughs> I'm your host, eventually. Dr. Chris. And I'm Mr. Zeneca. We're actually going to bang out a few of those micro-mini shows pretty much in a row, just to uh, to space it out between the next uh, show we do, which I, I, I kept saying it was going to be Blade, but the Blade movie got pushed back to 2024, so we're definitely not doing Blade after Alienation. At okay. least not right away, maybe? Who knows? I mean, depending on how long Alienation lasts, we've got five miniseries after miniseries, like made-for-TV movies after this movie, so... Uh, sorry, this series, so um, who knows? It just depends on what we do for mini, mini, mini shows before uh, Blade. Okay. I'll wait for then. Yes. Uh, but the first of the episodes is on, uh, if you have the DVDs, on the second disc, is 15 with Wanda. Or Horny Teenagers from Outer Space, as I like to call it. <laughs> 15 with Wanda. Uh, originally aired October 9th, 1989. Sykes and Francisco must each try to deal with their own problem children while keeping a witness safe from a mob hitman. And we begin with two aliens talking naughty talk on the phone. Um, And before that happens, David Bowie's name comes up in the credits. But it's not David Bowie the singer, because it's not spelled B-O-W-I-E. It's spelled B-O-W-E. Did you notice that? (laughs) No, I didn't. Yes, right at the beginning of the... uh, And special guest star is David Bowie. I was expecting David Bowie to start singing out, and I'm like, this show had the budget to hire David Bowie? (laughs) No, definitely not. (laughs) No. Uh, (laughs) It definitely did not have that kind of budget. But But they did have the budget in this one to hire Lori Petty for a guest appearance. Yes, that was very unusual. Uh, This is also insanely out of continuity with the last episode where Buck is on probation for the next six months and has to serve like all this community service and the gang crap is over with yeah this is very 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 out of order (laughs) because the last episode he cleaned up his gang act and that was the end of it it definitely feels like an episode out of order because also there is mention that george says that he wasn't there for buck's birth and that's impossible because the males give birth in the tecton uh culture so um he was definitely present for Buck's birth, so I think that's a little slip of the of the script there. Yeah, that didn't make a lot of sense. I just want to point out that David Bowie plays Buster Keaton on this in this in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Another name that's very famous. <laughs> yeah, not the silent film actor Buster Keaton, but this is a new Buster Keaton. Yeah. Um. So, uh, Lori Petty. Um. Uh. I think a lot of people probably know her best as Tank Girl. Um, and yeah. from uh, A League of Their Own. Yes, but she was also in the show that I was just reviewing, Brimstone, 
when we were doing our coverage of Rebirth. Oh, right. Who was she on that? Uh, Lori Petty played... <laughs> oh, man. You're going to have to edit this. What I mean, what character was Max. she? Max. Oh, okay. Max. Lori Petty played Max, who was basically the uh, hotel front desk person. She was also Livewire on Superman and Batman the Animated Series. Uh, that character was brand new, created for that cartoon, by the way. Livewire had never been a character on the comics uh, until she appeared on the uh, Superman the Animated Series in the 90s. Um, and uh, she would have then also show up on the New Adventures of Batman uh, to team up with Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy to take on Supergirl and Batgirl. A whole kind of girls' night out kind of episode, but uh, yeah, she would then transition into the the comics and rarely ever used. But yeah, she that was uh, that's how I first got to know who she was. But I think a lot of people really know her from um, Tank Girl or A League of Their Own. Yeah, definitely, definitely. She's still working today. She's on uh, Station Eleven as Sarah the Conductor, a TV miniseries. I don't know anything about this show. Uh, she was on Orange is the New Black for 24 episodes as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's a post-apocalyptic multiple timeline stories and survivors and devastating flu. Oh, it sounds like COVID. <laughs> I don't have any And Lori Petty also does cameos, if you're so inclined. Yeah, she does. Uh, she does a lot of those. Moving on, uh, so this, uh, immediately someone gets shot and then our uh, Casanova gets put into a witness protection program, but he's got to fuck his fiance because it's mating season in the, um, you know, the alien world and they got to bang, they got to bang it out hard. <laughs> yeah. Apparently upon the, the wedding night, there is a ritual and, uh, aphrodisiac gets, they, they take an aphrodisiac and then their actual anatomy starts to go into this, you like mating season. Yeah. So they are, ready and wanting to just spend 15 minutes. That's all they need, 15 minutes. And they become bonded uh, in this e- eternal um, monogamy bond. It, it's really kind of beautiful, but also uh, a little uncomfortable to watch because they are just climbing the walls with sexual frustration. Mm, indeed. And also in this episode... George and Sykes are like bickering like an old married couple because they've spent three weeks in this one room with this guy that is so horny that they can't do anything about it. And uh, they're just getting on each other's nerves. They should just hire him a hooker. (laughs) That's not how it works. I mean, she's being paid to have sex. That is how it works. He can bang out his frustrations that way. (laughs) No, but then that that's it wouldn't create the eternal bond. Oh well, <laughs> takes care of like their agitation over it. I mean, they could just like trank the guy and knock him unconscious for the episode. I guess so. That'd be over three weeks of being unconscious. That's... Oh, he'll be fine. <laughs> Um, all the while, um, they're having problems with their own kids. Obviously, George is having problems with Buck and, and, uh, Livewire and, uh, it, um, we're not following the movie because, um, Sykes' daughter is not married. Yeah, Sykes' daughter in this version seems to be, like, what, 17, 18? Something like that, yeah. And uh, Mary, and dating a guy named Thor, 
What is his daughter's name? Kirby. Kirby, yeah. Yes. Um, Kirby, played by uh, Cheryl Polk. Been on Jag, Live Shot. She was on Quantum Leap. Not a big career, but why does Kirby and Thor sound familiar? Oh, well, Jack Kirby, perhaps? Jack Kirby created the comic book character Thor, which is played by Chris Helmsworth in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, yes. And in this show, Thor is played by a guy named Wayne Pierre. Somebody I know nothing about. <laughs> I very well manicured man, I believe. Yeah, that's why he got that role. He's a very beautiful face. Uh, he's most recently in the TV series The Rookie as Des Robinson. Um, Buck decides to defend the honor of Lori Petty, and that gets him in trouble with his with uh, the kids at school. And of course, then you know his gang sees him dating her or hanging out with her, and that gets him in trouble as well with them. They kind of go nowhere with this. It's just to have Lori Petty on the show. I never feel like they do much with it. Overall, I did like the struggles that both George and Sykes were were putting with their children. Like like that's that fatherhood struggle. You know, George says that their children were taken away from them at age ten to be basically you know part of the slave po- uh, population. So they really never had to raise teenagers. So they don't know what it's about. And they're trying to model their behavior after, you know, other good role models. And the one that Susan points out is a Western television show. So I looked it up, and it's Bonanza from 1959. So she was looking at the uh, role of Ben, who was raising three boys in the Western realms. And and there was some sort of uh, point about being calm and collected and cool with your children and... and Loving them without condition. So George tries to do that same thing. And uh, Buck just keeps saying, like, you weren't there for me. So, you know, I'm not going to listen to you. So I definitely think that this episode was one to be, you know, a bit further in the line before uh, the uncle came over. And that whole storyline was resolved. Sykes actually meets his ex-wife. And... He leaves to meet his ex-wife to talk about their daughter's college education and the amount of money it's going to take, etc. And she pulls this really, really classist move where he, she invites him to a restaurant, this very, very high-end restaurant, to have this meeting about money of which she knows that he is, you know, working on a very low salary. And she wants him to basically sign permission for the daughter to go to the college. And maybe putting himself in debt to get this person into college. But that's not what it is at all, because she admits that she actually paid for the entire college tuition herself. And that she would just let the daughter know that you contributed. He gives her a check for the entirety of his savings. And she just passes it off like, oh, you contributed. Isn't that nice? Like, that's a bunch of bullshit. No wonder it's an ex-wife. The uh, ex-wife stuff is interesting. We never really get to see much of the ex-wife in the movie, and then she kind of shows up here. They want to buy a trailer and move in together in the trailer and drive away. Yeah, they want to do that whole van life thing. And I guess they end up doing it. 
Nothing really changed by his good fatherly speech, except the daughter no longer calls him Matt, and instead calls him Dad, which I guess is a step forward. But she's going to live weird. that damn life with Thor. That is weird. She calls her dad Matt. <laughs> of course, yeah. when she meets her dad at that, his apartment, she's wearing nothing but his shirt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's the very, very permissive father that wants to be kind of like the best friend. I understand that. I'm a pretty permissive parent myself, but I would never tolerate that type of casual behavior at my house. Um, Matt and his daughter reconcile, and then, uh, the assassin shows up with a really big gun, and George and Sykes reconcile over their problems of, uh, living together and being parents and dealing with their, you know, their, both their issues, and all's well that ends well, until the assassin tries to kill, um, the, uh... The chauffeur driver. The chauffeur driver. The witness. Their witness, yeah, their, their witness protection guy. And, uh, Sykes, uh, sorry, uh, George handcuffs him to the, uh, to the, to the wheel of the, um, the, the pipe, but he escapes, because he's horny, and he needs to go bang his girlfriend's <laughs> brains out, I guess. Never, never, um, never, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Never. I don't know where you're going with this one. Um... No, never underestimate the power of a boner. <laughs> I'm surprised I didn't just, like, give him a cantaloupe or something to just, I don't know. I still think the hooker probably would have helped him. Because <laughs> you're not going to tell me these people just, like, they they fuck one person, that's it. That's for life. I don't know. I mean, it, it says that it's eternal monogamy. Now, I also don't think on the show this ever comes up, but I know in the in the in the made for TV movies that follow this a few years later, um Sykes and Kathy go to couples um sex therapy to learn how to do that stuff because I guess they have sex differently even though they're clearly animated to have sex like the way we would. And at the couple's therapy, there is um, a white dude and a alien dude. Yeah. Which was in 1996, I just want to point out. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure we're definitely going to talk about this in depth when we get to that episode. Right. But I don't think it's a big point of the episode. It just happens to be there. there are other, there's another couple at the, the sex therapy to learn how to have sex between the species. And it just happens to be two guys. Yeah. So... Um, that's interesting that they, I'm sure it's something that they probably wanted to explore in, in the many different facets of sex. Now, what if like an alien wanted to like become like an alien dude wanted to become an alien woman, like a transgender alien? Well, I'm sure that when they fully understand, uh, the alien biology and how they react to certain medications and hormones and all of that, that it will be a possibility. It's just science would have to get to that point. They stop the assassin, and Sykes tells uh, the couple to go in the back room and fuck. <laughs> because, or sure enough, they track him down at a lingerie store. Yeah, that's because the mob has been following Wanda, his soon-to-be wife. Because, you know, if, if, if he's going anywhere, he's going to meet up with his wife. So they're just waiting and following her to the gym, following her to her house, following her everywhere... And apparently their meeting place was at a lingerie shop. 
and um, she got there, and then the mob was doing what they wanted to do, and that's pull out the big damn gun and try to take him out. But it was stopped, and yes, they got their 15 minutes of pleasure. <laughs> Time to hum. <laughs> and um, that's it. And the Wanda, Wanda was played by Sachi Parker. Oh, yeah, she was in it for like a hot five minutes. <laughs> yeah, uh, but she was also in the movie Scrooged. She was? Who was she in uh, the Bill Murray movie? Who was she in yeah, that? Yeah, the last series she was... Uh, the last series she was in was called The So-So You Don't Know for four episodes in 2018. Not familiar with that one. Me neither. By the way, uh, George points out that um, <laughs> he bought, by the way, uh, Spock's book, I Am Spock. The yeah. Nimoy's book, I Am Spock. And he said, this Mr. Spock book is no help. Matt replies, it's Dr. Spock. Mr. Spock is one of you guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, the whole slide on the Vulcan alien. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Matt, by the way, would go on. Uh, the actor who plays Matt, Gary, he would go on to play a Vulcan ambassador um, in Star Trek Enterprise. Yes, I think we went over that when we talked about uh, the bios of our main characters. Yes, rather interesting. The uh, the future. Uh, Star Trek connections and all that stuff. Someone said Eric Pierpoint, by the way, his birthday was recently, or George's birthday was recently. Do you know that's true? What, what, when is Eric's birthday? Oh, look um, that up. Eric. Uh, born November 18th. Okay, so his birthday's about a month ago. Not really recently. When we recorded it, it wasn't near his birthday, and then when I posted it, it was today. So we did an interview with Eric Pierpoint, who plays George Francisco. And you can check it out. It's the previous episode before this one on the Dead TV podcast. It's in the middle of the coverage of the two episodes, by the way. It was a good interview. He's in a movie, by the way, called Sex Tax, based on a true story. I kind of want to know what that is. Sex Tax? Sex Tax. Hmm. Uh, is prostitution too big to fall? Fail, the true story of the first government-owned brothel. I don't know anything hmm. about this. Okay. Uh, Reginald Vall Johnson's also in it, too. <laughs> Best known, of course, for playing um, the cop in Die Hard. Oh, that cool. That shows up to help John McClane. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and also, he was, uh, you know, he was uh, one of the main characters in, uh, he was uh, in uh, uh, Family Matters. Family Matters, yeah. Family Matters. But yeah, always best known uh, this time of year as we're recording this, you know, on the 11th of December. Best known as uh, that cop who helps Di John McClane in Die Hard. You know, eventually, I'm going to do this big supercut of edits between all of his movies where he plays cops, which is a lot. And uh, string together this kind of story about, you know, the stories that he tells on Die Hard of, you know, shooting a kid. And that kid ends up being Steve Urkel. And that's why he tolerates him in his house, you know. Yeah. do that someday. Well, you got to make sure you get all the clips of whenever he played cops. Like, uh, he, was, uh, he was a cop on Chuck, and I think he was a cop on another show. Oh, yeah. Oh, so. yeah. Um, there's a great clip. Because it's the same stunt coordinator, someone told me. Um, there's a, there's a so they're doing a uh, review on a channel about the uh, Rocketeer, and the stunt coordinator for the Rocketeer also worked on Return of the Jedi and uh, Friday the Thirteenth Part Four, uh, the final chapter. And there's a scene where Jason rips into the house, pulls someone out of the house, and throws them out the window, 
And then when he throws the woman out the window, it immediately cuts to her flying out the window like it does in the movie, but then cuts to the scene of Boba, Pet, Boba Fett flying off of the um, the sail barge and crashing into the other sail barge and crashing into the uh, the gullet of the Sarlacc pit. It is rather funny. <laughs> so we'll take a quick break. And we'll be back with the next episode here on the Dead TV Podcast. Just imagine the mightiest heroes of our time. All of them on one team. Since there are so many of us, we have a chance to do more than just put out fires. We can be proactive. We can do some real good in the world. JLUcast brings you coverage of Justice League Unlimited, the ultimate gathering of DC's heroes and villains, and the culmination of the greatest interpretation of the DC Universe ever. Join Chris and Cindy Franklin as they relive the team-ups, the battles, the conspiracies. I had no idea that the Girl Scouts were responsible for the crop circle phenomenon. Few people do. Few even think to ask the question. The romance and the fun. A head start. You're getting soft in your old age. Don't you have a tall building to go leave? Find us wherever fine fire and water podcasts are available. We're back with The Takeover, or Assault on Precinct 13. <laughs> Season 1, Episode 4, The Takeover, originally aired October 16, 1989. While the city suffers a riot, Francisco and Sykes alone must defend their precinct house from a gang of thieves. And you're right, it's, it's really Attack on Precinct 13. It is Attack on Precinct 13. So, right at the beginning... Uh, we get some like LA riots, and when the show takes place, was um, were the LA riots happening yet? Was the the big thing with um, Rodney King happen? Did that occur quite yet? No, no. This is this aired in 1989, so okay. I think the riots were in the 90s. Okay, yeah, but this is basically very similar to what you see in LA a lot. Like you know, there's a lot of these riots, and and it looks just like this, and. Yeah, like the closest one to this date, I believe, was the 1992 Detroit riots. And for those, uh, the governor, the governor of Michigan sent in the National Guard. So it has the feeling more like this episode where all of the cops from every precinct are all busy and out there trying to do uh, dealing with people in the riots and trying to calm them down. And uh, that's the closest closest simile even though the Detroit riots were years after this episode and, uh, aired. I love the fact that Matt Sykes was um, pounding on the uh, vending machine, and then later on when Al Al uh, Albert was, uh, he gets in trouble with his boss saying, if I ever see you do that, you'll be cleaning the toilets for a week. And he goes, I just cleaned the toilets. I just cleaned the toilets. <laughs> it's like he forgot exactly his role in the, in the entire facility. He does clean the toilets. One of these three... Um, would be assault on precinct thirteen wannabes want. Okay, so it seems that either the riots were coordinated because the all the news broadcasts say that there wasn't like a motivation for the riots. Like there was some Hispanic gangs, some um, you know newcomers, but it doesn't quite seem like there was a motivation. So it might have been manufactured in order to get all the cops away from these um, evidence lockers, these evidence 
cabinets that have millions of dollars worth of stolen goods. Right. And, and that seems to be the real the real point. But then the storyline kind of shifts when they find one of those canisters with the subduing gas in the evidence locker. So then it then the story goes from ten million dollars worth of cash and drugs to this canister is the most valuable thing in this. This is what we're here for. Um, the female is Gwyneth Walsh. Now, uh, she's had a career doing bit parts here and there and, you know, a few crappy Christmas movies like It's Homegrown Christmas and It's Christmas Eve. Uh, and she was on Van Helsing, uh, for a few episodes. But, uh, Star Trek fans will, will, uh, know her, um, I, w- I hate to use the word intimately, but I will, I will. As uh, Betar, two of these, uh, one of these twin sisters of uh, Star Trek, um, the next generation, Klingon twin sisters, who are like just crass and mean and rude and like just tits just hanging out of their costumes. Um, and they would show up on the next generation a few times and then, uh, decide to get involved with Malcolm McDowell's character in Star Trek Generations and, uh, discover how the Enterprise's, uh, the Enterprise's, um, force field is calibrated based on what them hacking into Geordi's visor. And they're able to just start laying into the Enterprise, um, with, uh, photon torpedoes. Until um, they were able, to, until Data gets into his head, how they can be defeated is that when they unload, unload the photon torpedo, they have to decloak or whatever, and that if there's a split moment that they are completely vulnerable, one shot from the Enterprise can take them out. You are aware that this is not the Star Trek podcast, right? No, but this is the, this is the actress. She's the bad girl in this episode, and she was on Star Trek. <laughs> she plays a pretty well known character. <laughs> She's like one of these like fantasy alien women that people want to, you know, seriously bang the brains out of or have, you know, dress up in Klingon makeup and let them have their way with them. <laughs> so anyway, that's who that is. Um the uh so there's there's a this is how they're identified. Mullet head black guy alien girl. <laughs> um the black guy is played by Jai Tu Kumbuku Kambuka, and he unfortunately passed away in 2017. Uh, again, bit part actor, Murder, She Wrote, Matlock, Midnight Edition, Walker, Texas Ranger, CSI. And then the last one is, um, I think Charlie Lang was Kenny... No, I think that's... Uh, the character Tom Molden, Tom Molden was played by Tracy Walter. Okay, yeah. And he is still alive. Um, I... I, he was uh, best. I, I, I took me a while to realize it because he's got a mullet on, but he's not wearing his signature hat. He's best known as Bob the Goon in Batman from 1989. Ah. He was the Joker's right hand man until the Joker shoots him. <laughs> he's also Cookie in City Slickers. Yes, that I less know of. Um, he played one of the rapists in the remake of I Spit on Your Grave. It was very disturbing. Uh, but he uh, is one of those kind of character actors that got resurrected by Rob Zombie as uh, Lucky Leo in uh, 31. Mm, yeah. You definitely recognize his face even if you don't know his name. Correct. Uh, but uh, probably always best known as you know Bob the Goon. Yeah. So this entire episode is really just uh, trying to get into the evidence locker. 
cops get killed along the way, and uh, Sykes' ex-wife has like a, well, is it the ex-wife or just an ex-lover? I couldn't, that's not the same actress from the last episode, is it? I don't think it's the same actress. She looks hotter, too. But it was really difficult. <laughs> it was difficult to tell. I mean, this woman's got, like, this micro miniskirt. I mean, she's dressing kind of sexy, you know, and tending to his wounds. I, I don't I don't see my ex-wife doing that. No, and the relationship that they showed in the previous episode with the ex-wife wasn't a good one. But, you know, relationships ebb and flow like that. Right, sometimes but you she's, hate them, sometimes you want to care for them. So, But she is dressed a little sexy. I mean, she's like, the way sexy, she's sitting yeah. on the couch, her legs are up, you know, her skirt's hiked up. I mean, not deliberately, just the way the fabric happens to lay when you sit down. Uh, you know what I mean? There's just there's a little posing, a little bit more. There's a lot of flirting going on. I think it's an ex-girlfriend. <laughs> okay. Rob, uh, Albert is kind of the focus point for a bit. I thought he was going to become a bigger hero. God, I thought we were going to get he was going to get killed off. Um, but uh, he, uh, he protects Kathy, uh, not Kathy. He protects uh, George's wife um, and yeah, takes Susan. a hit, Susan, and gets uh, gets hit too. And they're weird pinkish, pinky blood everywhere. Yeah, Albert really is very brave in this episode. He does get shot in one of his hearts, and he makes a joke that, you know, thank goodness they've got two hearts. Uh, and he ends up finding Detective Sykes basically protecting this woman and then brings him to the, the precinct because, like, they are in trouble. George is alone, and Susan is taken. It's It's a shit show everywhere, and they need him. And so Albert did his job, and he, he gets help. Um, and I, I actually consider that above and beyond the Call of Duty, because he is just a janitor. Right. I really thought it was going to be uh, Matt and uh, George together defending the pre- you know the precinct, and that doesn't quite happen. It ends up being George by himself. Yeah. And then George gets a hostage, and then the bad guys get a hostage. Yeah, standoff thing. The, the gas is used on Susan, and she is completely pacified and does whatever she's commanded to by this character Diane and this Diane character definitely was some sort of overseer she acts just like the the madam did in that one episode right so the disdain Susan would have for her is pretty strong yes yeah but the uh, the gas continues to affect her because later on uh, when they run away with her as the hostage she starts firing on George yeah, she's completely no longer herself anymore. The gas has influenced her. She is just a passive tool. The bulletproof vests that the guys are wearing, by the way, in the episode, don't look like they're... They, they Honestly, they just look like modified coats. Probably did that for television. Those aren't actual real bulletproof vests. They would have make them look too puffy on camera. Yeah, they're really puffy. They're very bulky. I don't see them being able to run around very well in those. No, no. This is a television show. That doesn't mean they can skimp on the budget with the authenticity <laughs> of police force stuff. Don't defend their their lack of creativity with how they should uh, dress their characters. Ah, yeah. So so after the standoff, uh, George does a crack shot and basically do, takes one bullet to explode that canister in the car, which gets rid of the gas. And even the human, uh, his 
one of his bosses, Captain Byron Grazer, mm-hmm. he was affected by the gas, too. Which Although is... not very strongly and in a weird way, but he was affected by the gas. I thought that in previous episodes it was clear that the gas only worked on the alien species. But whatever. This entire episode had the captain kind of doing his whole ego thesis uh, ideas on how to stop the riot that someone else gets credit for at the end of the episode. Right. It's just a something for humor. George says that the um, turts will burn. If anything happens to my wife, uh, you will, turts will burn in hell, burn in whatever, wherever turts burn. He doesn't say hell because I don't think he knows what hell <laughs> no, is. No, he doesn't say hell. No, he says, I, I will see you burn in whatever you turts burn best. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was very clever. Yeah, and the end of the episode, people rested, you know, bad guys vanquished, feel good all the way around. I don't think they ever determine what causes this riot, because I think the next episode is just kind of swept under the rug. Right. Also, I was kind of thinking, like, Albert would get some kind of accommodation or something, or, you know, some type of promotion from just being the janitor because of what he did, but that doesn't seem to happen. Well, we will find out on the next episode of Alien Nation. The captain will give him unlimited access to the vending machine. That's what will happen. (laughs) And that's all the notes I have for these two episodes of Alien Nation here on the Dead TV Podcast. Unless you have anything else? I don't know. That's all I have. Um, I just want to point out that the the guy who directed this episode went on to a lot of... uh, uh, special effects um, and visual effects in things like the Maze Runner and the New Mutants movie that took like a million years to come out. But he'd also directed episodes of like Melrose Place, Sequest, Weird Science, Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman, Dr. Quinn, Medical Woman. Nice. Yeah, so he's still doing his career thing today. Again, with uh, mostly with visual effects, as as I said, he, was just doing, he just did uh, the New Mutants movie. Of course, that was made a few years ago and just took forever to come out. Uh, you know one thing that I just kind of noodled in my head from the last podcast that we did talking about the uncle and how the seawater didn't actually burn him. Yep. And I got to thinking that maybe part of his religion, you know, his whole matriarchal society and his new agey philosophy about getting in touch with everything around you, maybe that was an active activation of the adaptation ability that this species has. So basically, he no longer was affected by saltwater because he had adapted to our environment. What, like mentally? Something that I'd been thinking over the last couple weeks. Like mentally he adapted? No, physically. Because remember, he walked into the ocean and the saltwater didn't affect him. Yeah, no, I got that. I, I saw that, but which is strange considering that you know any of his species touches salt water, it's like acid to us. Yeah, but maybe part of his religious beliefs caused his body to quickly adapt to our environment, which would mean that he is no longer capable of have, being affected by salt water because he's fully integrated our in our universe, our planet into his being, and therefore he is now a product of this being, of this earth that we are in, and therefore nothing can hurt him from it. So, yeah, that quick adaptation process. He just tapped into it, and therefore 
it no longer hurts him. Hmm. True. Just, um... Yeah, you know, I don't know. It's kind of a hand-wavy way of... These thoughts that I have, because... I just well, wonder... I had to explain it somehow. Like, why is this person able to not get hurt by salt water and all these others are horribly, you know, scarred or or meltified from the salt water? And that's the only thing I can think of, is that he's intentionally tapping into his adaptation abilities. Well... In, it... And doing it in this very new-agey way. True. I I just wonder if they're going to bring it back up later on because it just seems very hand wavy to me that, you know, and, and it's going to, if they don't do anything else with it, it was like, okay, what was the point of that? Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I, like an episode sets up with like... I think it's just a Buck storyline and uh, have a redeeming point. Yeah, unfortunately, Buck storyline is all over the place because these episodes are being, you know, put... <coughs> they were aired out of order and the discs are putting them in the exact order of, um, you know, release date that they were broadcast in, which... They don't need to do that. They could have, you know, easily repackaged these to make sure that they're in continuity order. Yeah. Fox did that with uh, Firefly. They aired them out of order, which pissed off Joss Whedon. Uh, then the show got canceled because people were confused by it or didn't have really great ratings. But then when they came on DVD, they put them in continuity order. Okay. Yeah. So... But that's all, again, the notes we have here for uh, Alien Nation. And we'll be back in a couple weeks with the, the last two episodes of Disc 2, if you're following us on the DVDs. Uh, the first cigar in Night of the Screams, which is a Halloween episode. <laughs> if we'd actually had this uh, chance to start the show back in August when we wanted to, uh, we, that probably would have lined up perfectly. But uh, yeah, they did have a Halloween episode. I think they have a Thanksgiving episode, too. Uh, we'll be back in a couple weeks with another exciting episode of the Dead TV Podcast covering Alien Nation. Good night.